Thank you, Luke. I love you, buddy. So lacquer. So sometimes, like, I, I, I travel around and minister all over. Sometimes you speak at places that you love people because you're a Christian, and you just don't know them really yet, and you get to love them. But then sometimes you come back to places. It's like I'm speaking at, like, with my friends, and it just is lacquer. Feels like the anointing flows way better if you actually really deeply love people. And, like, I, like, would lay awake thinking about how you would succeed. And I mean that. I'm so thankful for you, buddy. Like, guys, I, I mean this. Like, I deeply love this church. And if, if, if this has been the primary place where you've been discipled, you don't know what you've got. You have a phenomenal group of leaders that are deeply committed to Jesus and to you. Don't take it for granted. And it's so special what you guys have here. By the way, I just don't know how you guys recruit all the amazing worship leaders you have. I literally texted James and said, I'm almost, bro, how do you guys do it? <laughs> just lay hands on me. I need this. Right? We do like prayer sets every day with like 10 hours of worship and prayer every week. It's kind of a part of what we do. And um, man, you're super anointed. Keep going. Yo, keep going. Super anointed. Keep going. Right? What fuels revival is three things. Apostolic preaching. People that can make that preaching into songs that the masses remember. And administrators can help those things flow quickly. If those three things are in place, revival is inevitable. Right? So good job. You guys got most of those ingredients. I'm trusting for more for you. So um, I just want to say something before. I'm just quickly going to pray for myself. And we're going to transition a little bit. Um, <clears throat> we just kind of went after like purity, etc., I just feel like you guys need to realize that, like, if you came forward here, it's finished. Okay? Like, when Jesus says it is finished, it's done. Don't, lo- don't go regurgitate your brokenness now. Okay? If it's under the blood, it's covered. Right? Don't go dig, dig up a dead body. If it's been buried, let it die. And move on. Okay? And I think, like, for some, for some people... It's sometimes hard to live in freedom because they think it's come so custom. Their sin has become their friend. And I want to encourage you, right? Let Jesus comfort you in that place you've never known freedom. And I believe that for some of you, it's so important to hear these words. You need to move on now. That's kindly, I'm saying this. Okay, Pastor Gabe, but I'm going to be Rahid, okay? You need to move on and get over your pain now. Right? Because sometimes we become so accustomed to it that it becomes like a badge of honor. And that never brings Jesus glory. It just brings us false comfort from people. And Jesus needs to take that space. Is that good? Okay, so I want to pray for us and we're going to jump in. So Lord, you're beautiful. And we sing that song, Yeshua, my beloved. Lord, we just ask that you reveal to us, even tonight as we speak about the Great Commission beauty that you hold for the nations of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I'm a missionary, so I need to speak about missions a little bit. And then I just felt, as I prayed for tonight, I, I, I'm, I just want to hit the nations and missions hard a little bit. And, and here's why. Um, at the end of the age, right, like one of the most beautiful sights is going to be the song we sang. Right, all those nations will crown you with many crowns. Right, let me. What's the song's name again? 
getting ready. That's why I love internet. Getting ready lyrics. I, wanna, I just want to read one part. Because I felt it kind of confirmed that I'm going to preach about today. So I want to read you quickly these lyrics. I want you to listen what you're singing. Because the song is profound. It's the first time I sang, I was like, oh wow, this is really cool. And then I felt the Lord say, well, read the lyrics. You don't get the song yet. Okay. Thank you. So when I read the lyrics, and I, and I just literally started crying. And I was like, God, like, wow, this is, this is our heart's cry. This is it. So listen to this. What an honor it is to be invited to the marriage of the Lamb to come and worship Him. Right? That's we all. We're going to be at a feast together with, like, people from Papua New Guinea, with their tribal wear, right, with the feathers from all these. They're going to sit there with us, right? It's going to be amazing. People from all the ages, from like 4,000 years ago till in the future when we don't know. Like we're all going to sit around this massive table. We're going to have a marriage supper celebrating the victory of the Lamb. And he says, it's, um, the marriage of the, what an honor has been to invite to the marriage of the Lamb to come and worship him. Celebration. It is the joining of the bride and the son, the two becoming one. All the prophecies fulfilled. In a moment, so we sing, right? And then we all sing, like the sun is shining on. Right, we all know this, right? But I, I want to read these lyrics. And then I kind of want you to hear, filled with wonder, as we behold the man of fire in his eyes, the very word of God, you are worthy. Listen now, every kingdom, every nation bowing down, we crown you with many crowns. Every creed, tribe, and tongue declaring in unity. That's the key of this song, declaring in unity. Right? So what does declaring sound like? Listen to this. Like the roar of many waters. Like the sound of rolling thunder. So you just, just imagine this. The declaring in unity will be multitudes of millions sounding like thunder rolling. When you sing like the sound of many waters, that is our voices before the throne. That's, that's the goal at the end. The goal at the end is that from every language, every tribe, he's brought a people by his blood so that this song can become real, so that that thunderous eruption can stand before the throne. There's a theologian that wrote this article. I love this. I'm going to read you two maybe a little bit theological things, but you're all smart people. It said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. So worship is the fuel and the great goal of missions. Right? The fuel of missions is that the Father will be glorified. Right? The reason we go to all these stupid places, I'm going to tell you guys a few stories, I'm going to show a video in a bit. The reason we go to these places is that in these crazy places, there can be songs in Nepali. There can be songs in all these tribes all over Africa that like they can know the ultimate worth of worshiping Jesus. Now, this worship is not just a song. 
Right? The worship is a life burning before God. Right? You become like the thing you worship. Right? And the ultimate privilege of man, the reason we worship God is not because he needs our songs, it's because we need to be addicted to him. Right? You worship the thing you love the most. And you become like the thing you love the most. Who's ever seen a girl who's like so one way, fall in love with a guy, and then about six months later she almost looks like him? Who's ever seen that? Her clothing changes, the music she likes changes. Why? Because you become like the thing you worship. Right? And the reason that we're contending for the nations to worship is because we're contending for the nations to take up their rightful place as image bearers to reflect the Father to the lost. It's to be those agents of reconciliation through which God makes his appeal. It's very interesting. Bosch is this, like, the number one, it's actually very interesting. I think this is prophetic. The number one missiology theologian on earth, right? This guy, his last name is Bosch. David Bosch is his name. He's a South African who wrote the number one text that all theologians pretty much use. It's a foundational text talking about missiology, which is the study of missions. He's a South African. I think there's something to that. There has to be. There has to be something to it. I didn't even know the guy existed. Andy told me about him. He's like, hey, we should read this book together. But he says that he writes in his introduction to this book. It's like this thick book, 700-page book on missions. He says, the word missions, familiar as it might be, is very familiar in its origin. It's very recent in its origin. Which means our word for missions is not a very old word, the way we use it. It's not been used for like 2,000 years. Listen to this. Until the 16th century, which means there are 1,600 years, the term was used exclusively with referring to the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? I need you to have your thinking caps on for one second, okay? That is, the word had primarily to do with the sending of the Son by the Father and of the Holy Spirit by the Father and the Son. The term missions primarily originated from the work of God among humanity. The word mission started because we have a missional God. The reason we become missional people is because we are made to be like our God. And I, I want to encourage us. I'm going to speak about this this evening. I, I want you to hear me when I say this. It's, Missions as how I'm going to talk about it. And I'm going to try to make it as broad as possible without breaking the word. It's not because you have a personality type, you like adventures, because you're like your father. We serve a missional God who stepped into humanity since the beginning and has been on mission, reconciling all things back to himself so that what? So we can see the nations come to him and being blessed. We read in, in, in Genesis how God speaks to Abraham after he said, after he um, was willing to sacrifice Isaac. And God says, now I know that you fear me. And then he says, I will bless you. And the multitudes after you will become a blessing to the nations. The reason God has called us is to be a blessing to the nations. This Bosch talks about three things. And I'm going to play a severe. He says, mission presupposes three specific things. Number one, is that there's a sender. There's one who sends. Number two is there's, there's a sent, those, those people who are being sent. And number three is, is that there is an assignment. 
So there's a sender, there's those being sent, and there's an assignment. This evening, I kind of want to talk about those three things. What, who sent us? Who is those who are being sent? And what is our assignment? Right? Because at the end of the day, right, we know the big end goal is what? Is that we will thunderously worship the Lamb. People from everybody. But till then, what is our assignment? What is your job here in George? Right? What, what do you do to be a part of this great story? To see the nations come to him. So I want to play you guys a quick video from one of my friends and then we'll jump in. Isn't it amazing that the reason why we're up here in these remote Himalayan areas is that 2,000 years ago a man fled and died on a cross. And what he did is the reason why we've left everything while we're traveling into these remote areas to bring his love, the good news of what he did to these people. There's a reason why so many of these people have not yet heard the gospel. It's just so hard to get out here. It's so hard to reach these ones. But it's the love of Christ that compels us to go. It's His good news, His love in our hearts. There's a reason why we'll go anywhere to bring the good news to Jesus. a thousand meter drop off there I wanted to show the video it's one of my friends his name is Jeremy Curry he leads a mission space in Nepal and me and a few friends are going there later this year and we're doing about like 200 kilometer hike to an area they've never been able to go to yet because it's too hard <clears throat> so they kind of told us hey you want to come make sure you can run at least a marathon or don't come because we've tried multiple times and it's just been too hard to get to this place and here's the thing like there's 3.2 billion people who's never heard the name of jesus for some reason god has chosen to make you the generation of people that's alive when the only ones who are left are the hardest ones to get to the furthest places and the most violent nations which means that somewhere God has deposited something in our generation that is willing to go to places where John Wesley couldn't, where Jonathan Edwards couldn't, right? Where some of these people who are heroes never could get to those places. God somehow knew that this generation has something in it that can get to those people. So I'm going to read us here, and I'm going to unpack a little bit this evening. Um, Matthew 28 from verse 18, and um, <clears throat> it's a great commission, but I'm, I'm going to try to make it not like how you've heard it. Now, you're going to go like, Gabe, our, our theme is revival and reformation, exactly. So let's take it somewhere where it's needed, right? I know it's needed here a lot, but um, you're in a church, and you're not hiding 3-3 three, three, to not get persecuted and martyred for what you believe. I was speaking to one of my friends about a country we're going to in end of April, and um, it's in East Africa, it's just above the Horn of Africa, and they, they take Christians and they put them in barrels and they throw them in the ocean, right, that's kind of how they persecute them, 
because they want to make it so horrible to die as a Christian. Nobody would try to be one, right? You know that that's the number fourth most persecuted country. It's not number one. It just gets increasingly worse as you go up the list of how they kill us because we're dangerous. We're dangerous to oppression. So Matthew 28 says this, Then Jesus came to them, all, them and said, All authority. Say all. Say all. Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go. Say go. And make disciples of all nations. Say all. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey. Say obey. Everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always. Say always. To the very end of the age. This is a wild piece of scripture. Now, I was just in Israel, first time, pretty swirly, um, loved it. Um, if people ask me, what do you take away from it? I said, I'm more convinced than ever that God has a plan. Because 1947 is a miracle. Less Judaizer believing in all of the feasts than I've ever believed in it. Right? I've always not been really pro of those things, and I'm less pro of them than ever. Because I realize more and more I'm not a Jew. I'm Afrikaner from Pochesteroom. Okay, and if I want to honor God with feast, I should celebrate my culture's feast about how God redeemed my culture. That honors his name. Not trying to recreate something for somebody else. Somebody spoke to me this morning, asked me some questions. I, I feel I need to push here, so I'm going to do it. I usually don't do this. But I want to say this. Somebody says, like, why do we need to uphold the feasts? And I said, I don't think you need to. She's like, well, but... We're Israel. I said, no, you're not. You're grafted into Abram. Abram came before the command of the feasts. Some of you need to hear that. You're grafted in before the law came. And then Paul does us a favor and says, all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So every advantage you can get from a feast, you can get in Jesus. So have a quiet time. If you want the blessing, be with Jesus. Okay, if you want to be a Jew, be a Jew. Right? But I want to tell you something. Then you have to, like, I was at the wailing wall, sitting in that room where they're praying, these men, tears flowing down their faces, realizing they don't know Jesus. And I'm looking at that and say, God, I ask you, don't let, I honor their zeal. Thank you for protecting the law and the Torah that they birthed your son. I honor the people of Israel. But thank you that I am not under the yoke of the law. That I don't have to do anything to gain favor. I have favor because of your son. That I can stand in the victory that your son gave me. Lord, I am too weak to uphold these things. Maybe some other people are more spiritual. I'm not. I'm just thankful for the blood. Okay, so sorry if that was for somebody here. I'm not trying to fight. I'm just trying to read the Bible. Um. So Jesus, so we're in Israel, and we're around the Sea of Galilee. So the Sea of Galilee is a sea. It's pretty impressive. It's also less impressive than I thought it would be, to be honest, but it's beautiful. And you can kind of feel, it's kind of weird. Like, I woke up one morning, and like, the sea where Jesus walked on water is just there. It's kind of trippy in your head. And so we're there, and then um, this, we had an early morning hike that we hiked up this mountain, and church history believes that this is the mountain where Jesus gave the Great Commission. Right? And you're standing there and you're overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And you, you see 
um, all these places that you've read about the Bible. Oh, Jesus raised somebody from the dead there. He did this there. He did that there. He did that there. And then it kind of hit me. And I'm standing there overlooking where Jesus gave the Great Commission, saying, all authority has been given to me. And I'm realizing, imagine he was standing like this, and Galilee is behind them because they're on a mountain. And Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And Peter is thinking, yes, there you raise somebody from the dead. There you cast out the demons of legion. There you heal the woman with the issue of blood. Right? Jesus can kind of flex and go like, look around you. What have I done? And he stands there and he says, all authority has been given to me. How much authority? How much? All authority. Right? And as Jesus says that, he says, and so go therefore. It's important we understand here, remember three things I said that's important in missions? Right? There's a sender. It's important you understand that where we are being sent and who is commissioning us is the one who has all authority. He doesn't have some of the authority, right? I know that we have authority. But it looks like he doesn't share because he has all authority. So your opinion in that equation seems like it doesn't matter. He didn't get, get, go like, hey, Omo, I have 98.2% of the authority and you have 1.8. Now Jesus went like, I have all authority, so go. So it's interesting here that like the conversation starter of what it means to be a Christian in this day and age is that we have somebody that's leading us who is the boss of everything. Now, there's something about confidence that this brings you, but sometimes before confidence, there's a little bit of a wrestle. And, and, and that little bit of a wrestle that you have to work through before you get to confidence is that I want to be a free moral agent. I want to be God of my own life. Now, you need to understand, you're either, Romans 6, a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. If you don't want to be a slave of righteousness, by default, you're a slave of sin. There, there is no in-between. Okay, I'm either in or I'm out. And in this day and age where we want to be so free from chains... It's very hard for a generation to sometimes hear you're either a, sl a slave of righteousness or you're a slave of sin. And some people go like, no, 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 but like I just, I want to have my own free will. You realize that the only place where freedom exists is in God. Let me give you a great example. You get born, before you're saved, you can't help but say yes to sin. Who's ever tried before you're saved to quit sin you couldn't? I was a drug addict. I very much know. Right? Do you know how I got free from snorting cocaine? It wasn't that I said, I want to stop snorting cocaine. My dad said, you better get saved. And he put his paw on my chest and he prayed for me. I got delivered through a blood for a while. And then I quit drugs. Do you know why? Because my allegiance changed. I got transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. Right? The gospel is the power of God onto salvation. Dunamis, Greek. Dynamite. Bam. Right? So I'm here all of a sudden. I'm born again. And I wake up the next morning. And my mind goes like, you want cocaine. The 
previous day, I would have got up, called my drug dealer, and bought cocaine. But now, I'm in the kingdom of light. The temptation is still knocking. And I went like, wait, I got saved last night. No, I'm not going to do it. And I'm waiting for the resistance. And it's like, huh. Interesting. It worked. I can say no. Wow. I wonder what else works like this. Right, I won't remember the first time I had a bad day after I was saved. And I had really bad emotions come up. And I was like, I wonder if it works. God, I thank you that my portion is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It might be, took me 20 minutes praying in tongues a bit. And then it boom, left. And I was like, what? I'm not even a slave of my emotions? Oh, my goodness. The gospel must be true. Good news is real. Right, but it doesn't mean those things aren't knocking. It just means that like all of a sudden I can say no. Why? Because I'm submitted to righteousness. Right? That all of a sudden, like the one who has all authority gave me a big playing field. I don't have a short leash. The leash is pretty long. And it's everything in the word that he told us is pleasing to him. And he goes like, all authority is mine. So therefore... Now, that word therefore is very important because you need to know what comes before, right? If you don't know what comes before, therefore becomes like nothing, right? Therefore. So, therefore is there because something is about to happen that if you don't have to know what is before it, you won't do the thing that's about to happen. It's the same as when it talks about like, give your life as a living sacrifice as your pleasable, acceptable act of worship, Romans 12. It says, therefore, inside of God's mercy. That therefore is very important because he wants you to understand Romans 1 to 11 so you can understand Romans 12. If you don't understand 1 to 11, right, the living sacrifice won't make sense to you. Okay, the same way Jesus is like, hey, like, I have all authority. Therefore, now you kind of need to worry a little bit, right? Because where in the Bible does God give a command in the New Testament and he flexes by going, I am the boss. That doesn't happen a lot in the New Testament. Jesus goes like, Akka is in the van alles. Doesn't matter how you feel right now, I am it. So, uh oh. <laughs> Go. Not sit. Not stay. Go. Now God is pretty committed to this word go, it's two thirds of his name. I paid him to say that. <laughs> you didn't hear this. God is so committed to this word go. Right? Christianity is not a static religion. It is, in the best way, a conquesting religion. But we conquer through love and service. We overcome by dying. By not loving our lives even unto death. It's like the martyrs. You see, they throw in the amphitheaters in the Roman times, right? And as they're being killed, they're preaching to the masses, God loves you, I forgive you. That's how we go. This is a perpetual sending, the mission of the Father sending the Son, and the Father and the Son sending the Spirit, and the Spirit sending me and you into all the earth. Right? And for some of our go, it's a video 
like Jeremy, going to the darkest places on earth, hiking these mountains. For some of you, it's going to the school where you're a teacher. But the mission is still sent by the one who has all authority. And if we don't understand that the mission for Gabriel is the same for the mission than the mother who's staying at home raising her children, and the one who sent you to do the mission is the same one with all authority, what happens is we delegate our daily lives to become something unmissional, and we start building white picket fence safe lives instead of having a life of conquest where you understand as a house mother those arrows in the quiver that the bible speaks about was little humans that's the greatest weapon you'll send into the ends of the earth if we don't understand who is sending who is being sent what is the assignment our lives struggle to find purpose goes on after he talks about going he says make disciples of all nations how many nations all nations now i'm going to say something that might be a little bit controversial i try and honestly not i've been controversial already once this evening sure i'm sorry strike three i'm out i guess i'm doing two i'm gonna try and not have three okay <clears throat> you need to know i will never from the front try to pick on you if you're an individual in the room. That is the most immature thing people can do. I'm just, if I feel something, I'm just going to say it. Okay, so if you're in the room going like, oh, you're talking about me. I'm like, no, I'm not talking about you. I, I'm not afraid of conflict. I'll talk to you in person. I promise you. So, this word nations is the word ethnos in Greek, right? There's another word that's called anthropos. Ethnos and anthropos are two different words. Ethnos is nations. Anthropos is my people. Afrikaners, anthropos. Colored, anthropos. Kozas, anthropos. Okay? Ethnos is all those people groups combined. Right? All the people groups is ethnos. Right? So Jesus is telling his disciples not to go to their own people. Primarily, he goes like, it's not that just your people know. It's that all people will know. Now we see the story of the centurion and Peter. You guys all know the story where the spirit first fell on um, Gentiles. That's the reason we're all here. Great story. You, you, hallelujah. So good. But towards him, right? Not towards the sermon. So good. Thank you, Jesus. It's a great idea. Right? So what happens is that Jesus sends an angel to speak to um, the centurion. And what happens is he gets Peter Peter goes and he presents the gospel. And then fire falls, right? They pray in tongues. We go like, man, Peter, you crushed that sermon. No, that's not what happened there. God saved his own gospel. Do you know what happened? Peter walks in, he insults them immediately. You know it's taboo for me to even eat with you. Imagine I walk into, just, can I just be, oh, strike three, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Imagine, let's just choose the most controversial thing, right? Ask Afrikaner from Pochaf, right? So if you want to quantify like the, 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 the epitome of oppression, right? In South Africa, I probably must be it, right? I'm like 192, 
I weigh 117 kilograms white male from Poch. Okay, I'm the sign of everything wrong in this country, right? Okay, cause lachbiki, isn't snogs, ne? And so imagine, imagine I walk into a township and I go like, you know, it's even wrong for me to eat with you. I want you to feel what Peter is saying. He's saying to the Gentiles, that's how little I think about you. And then he presents his version of the gospel, which is pretty accurate if you only read English. And then he says, so then God sent us to the people or to the nations. And in Greek, he doesn't use the word for nations. He doesn't use the word for all nations. He uses the word anthropos, my people. God sent me to my people. So I'm coming into a township as Gabriel, presenting the gospel because an angel forced me, saying, I can't even eat with you, you know this. I give you the gospel and says, and God sent me to Afrikaners. Holy Spirit breaks in. Boom. Do you know why? Because God had to stop Peter. The Holy Spirit broke in because he was going to make them to be Jews and not allowing them to be Christians. Did you understand the power of what happened in that moment? That moment what happened was God was protecting his own name because, because Peter didn't yet have the understanding God wanted to include all people. He couldn't see that God wanted people from other nations to share in this inheritance that's come from Genesis 1. Which is that all people would be blessed. It's so difficult for him and his Jewish worldview to have understood that God would bless Gentiles. And it's sometimes so important for us to understand that God is asking us to walk across the street. To walk to the other neighborhood, to walk to the people who's not like my people, to bring the good news. Not top down, you know it's evil for me to even eat with you, but to come bottom up and go like, how can I be like the king that came to save my life and serve you? That's the good news. Does everybody with me? Right, this, this piece of scripture is pretty controversial, guys. You need to understand, what Jesus was saying here was triggering all of them. And they're pretty confused when they heard it goes on and he says, go to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now this word baptizing is one of my favorite things to talk about. Okay? And the reason it's one of my favorite things to talk about is because we think it means doop. Okay? It probably could mean doop, but it doesn't mean doop. Okay? It, it actually means way more than just doop. Okay? Should we doop people? Of course we should doop people. Right? It's in the Bible everywhere. It's not just in this one place here. Okay? So this word baptizing, baptismo, it's not, I, it's not just to submersion bring up. The, the meaning of this is different. It is when you take a cucumber and you immerse it into vinegar and into herbs and you leave it in there for such a long time that it becomes a pickle. So this thing used to be a cucumber and it's so immersed into the knowledge of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that if you take it out, it's different. And so when God calls us by all authority, all of us, our assignment to go to all nations and take, teach them about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit 
It is to so immerse these nations in the knowledge of God that nations who used to be cucumbers becomes pickles. Right? Is that all of a sudden there's such a wave of the knowledge of God that crashes in nations. It's not just a strike in and out. It's a consistent soaking in the knowledge of Jesus. So the places that used to be one way becomes a different way. Is that our discipleship of nations should have a fragrance, should have a flavor, should have a way that it impacts people that their normal becomes what? To obey. Teach them to obey. The goal, the assignment is to so immerse people in the knowledge of who this God is that we serve that our first response becomes obedience. 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 That the end goal of discipleship is not longer worship. Although I like long worship. It is not better preaching, although I really dislike when I don't preach good at least. But the goal is that people would know what it means to obey. Now, why would obedience be the key? And this is the easiest way. It's not very deep theologically, but it's very true theologically. So I believe that God's love language is obedience. Deuteronomy, book of the law, 33 times it says obey, 33 times it says love. I believe that love equals obedience in God's sight. And the easiest way to worship God is to obey Him, not to sing a song. The easiest way to reveal His glory is to do what He says. Right? Who's married here? Can I just see a raise of hands? Okay. Whose husband or wife has ever told you, thank you, but can you just do what I tell you? Has, has ever, anybody ever had this here? It's like, you, thank you for that you tell me you love me, but just, can you just do what I ask you? Has anybody ever, ever had that? Right? Thanks, Alma. At least me and you are honest. Right? The, the back there as well. Right? It's like, thank you, you flat me, but can you school good was? Okay? So I know you my brief, but So I remember the first time I made my wife cry. Right? First time I ever made Michelle cry, my wife is amazing. Is um, she she had a small group. She's a lawyer. She had the whole day of work, and then she asked me like three times during the day, "Hey, can you just please make sure that the dishes are done when I get home?" Okay. Mm-hmm. You know what's about to happen. Yes, seen me. I seen you. Full my deep head, man. Okay. Michelle comes. I was like, "Hi, honey. How are you doing? I love you." And I hug her, and I can literally feel she's on her toes looking over my shoulder. And she just starts weeping. She goes, like, I've just worked from 7 to 7. Could you not just do what I asked you? And she literally said this, don't tell me you love me if you don't do, do what I ask you. Now, she wasn't mean. She wasn't sarcastic. She was expressing the desire of her heart. Is that love looks like something. And when Jesus here says, all authority is mine, go to all places, 
and immerse them and teach them to obey. Here's what he's saying. Teach them to love. Because love looks like something. Love, love looks like something. Love looks like things changing. And Jesus goes on here and he says, Teach him to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And this is probably my favorite thing about this whole piece of scripture. <clears throat> Jesus comes and he says, I'm the sender. You're the one being sent. Your assignment is to teach people to immerse them in the knowledge of me so they change and that the normal becomes loving obedience. He gives an impossible task to some extent, multi-generational, 2,000-year-long assignment, generation by generation by generation. The knowledge of the glory of God is increasing on the earth. And, but he gives this promise I will be with you. Just think through this. The promise is, I will be with you. I don't think we understand the importance of this promise. Moses said the burning bush. He gets commissioned by the Father to go and pretty much rebuke the most powerful man on earth called Pharaoh, which he ran away from because he murdered somebody and he grew up in his household. So you can understand the, the turmoil in, in Moses' heart. And then he's not just going to oppose this guy. He's going to tell him to let go his whole labor force that will economically cripple his nation, who's the most powerful nation on earth. And if you cripple their economy, you put them in danger. So he knows. Remember, he grew up in the king's house. He understands politics. He understands economics. He's been well educated. He knows what God is asking me is making me public enemy number one. <clears throat> he goes like, God, but I'm not eloquent. I can't speak well. Like, I don't have the stuff to do this. And what does God do? No, buddy. You're actually a great communicator. You don't even know it yet. I've put so much in you. You got this. You don't even know, like, I'll help you. Don't want. God doesn't do that. God says, I'll be with you. God doesn't put any of Moses' confidence in himself. God says, your confidence is in my presence. Your confidence is at no moment. Your task is being done alone. Your task is being done with me right next to you. And this evening as... We're talking about revival and reformation, the great commissions, the ends of the earth. It's the hardest, darkest. That's like your one-year-old or that's the high Himalayas. The promise of the father is, while your child is screaming at the top of their lungs, veins in their face at 2 a.m. and you're not slept because they have colic, you're rocking that child. The father's saying, I'm with you. You're not rocking alone. Right? If you're stepping into that school and there's 60 kids and you go like, goodness, why is there so many people in one classroom? God, I don't know how I'm going to get to them. The promise is not that you're a good teacher. The promise is that he's with you. If you're stepping into that business, it's chaos. Load shedding is putting your overheads way more expensive. God is asking you not to fire people because their families are suffering. The promise is not that you're a good businessman. It's that he is with you. 
as you're stepping into government and there's corruption, you're trying to figure out how do you not lose leverage while not taking bribes. The promise is not that you're gifted and skilled. The promise is that he's with you. This great commission, this task that the Father has set before us, as he sent his son and they sent the spirit, now they're sending us. The promise is we will never be alone. I want to encourage us this evening as we talk about revival and reformation, that the one who truly revives, the one who truly reforms, is the one who always goes with us. The requirement is simple. Go. If you stay, nothing happens. If you stay, nothing happens. Going means changing of location. That means not always moving to different countries, but it means the location of where your heart has found comfort. It might mean that, hey, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to reach out a little bit. That going requires something. So I want to pray for us this evening, and we're going to jump back into worship. Lucky Luke, I don't know. Worship band, come up. Now, I, I, I just want us to take this next while as we go into worship, and I, I want worship to be intercession, intercession this evening. And, and, I, and I want us to sing whatever songs are coming up. And I, I want us to go after this thing. God, hear me, for all of us, m- help me be a missionary. Help me live out Matthew 18. Help me live out like this 18 to 20, what, the verses here. Help me to live this out so that I can be who you've made me to be. Some of us are trying to find purpose in all the wrong places. The world says this, right? I always explain to young people, and I'm ending with this. It's a triangle that points up, right? If you find your purpose and you follow the rules, you'll have fulfillment. Right? When I played rugby, this is how it worked. I'm going to be a pro athlete. I'm going to work harder than anybody else. And when I might play for X team, I'll feel full. God flips that triangle upside down. He says this. Here's the thing. You're born again. You're fulfilled. End of the conversation. Now from your fulfillment, you get to know the word. And you do generally what pleases God. And in you generally following his will, he will reveal your specific location. But our striving is never for fulfillment because we find it in him. We find joy in being loved by Him. Our greatest primary call is to be loved. It's not to love. The great prayer that every Jewish person prays is called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, our Lord is one. Love Him with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul. Do you know what the first commandment of that is? Is here. It's not love. Why? Because the first commandment is to receive before you can ever give. You're commanded by God to receive. Because you can't immerse the nations in something you've not been immersed in.